Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. I call to order this meeting of clowns in the woods. Let's begin with our group affirmation. We are clowns. We are also people. We find peace and contentment in the woods. We deserve our place in the forest. <laughs> hey, hey, Gags, could you not do the fiendish cackle? Whatever, okay, who wants to share? Yes, macaroni. Well, I was in the woods, and I saw this lady and her children, and I waved at them. And she grabbed her kids and ran away screaming. Okay, anything else? I found out later she described me to the police as long-fingered. Did you have your funny hands on? Of course I did. They're so funny. Well, not to her. Can I ask, did you have the three black helium balloons in your other hand? No. Well... Yeah. Okay, this goes for all of you. No more black balloons. Oh, I love black balloons. Hey, this comes down from National, not just our Eastern Connecticut chapter of Clowns in the Woods. Look, there's nothing I love more than skulking around in the woods in my clown getup, but we can't push things too far. Can we still sneak up on children and whisper, This is a dream you can't wake up from. Oh yeah, that's still a go. Alright. Okay then, it's gonna be dusk pretty soon, and Ryan Hanrahan is calling for fog and mist in the area, so fan out, okay, and have a great time. If we get some actual drizzle around 7 o'clock, I'd like two of you to volunteer to stand with me on a small bridge over a creek, laughing in the rain. Total nightmare fuel. Hands? Thank you. They are very funny hands. Let's check out something we all like, a nose. And now he cries when there's no one around. Colin McEnroe. Well, there are some sad things known to man, but there's not too much sadder than the tears of a clown. So we are going to be talking about clowns in the woods a little bit later. Uh, We're also going to be talking about uh, Barbara Streisand and a brand new show, which we all like a lot, called Atlanta. And believe me, we can tie them all together. We actually can do that. We can tie them with a string, a Barbara Streisand string. So I ran the names of all of the panelists today through a clown name generator, of which, by the way, there are at least four available online. But I picked the better of the four, <laughs> the best of the four. Jim Chaplin, your clown name, name is Boom Boom Bongo the Clown. <laughs> you, are also, you are also an Emmy Award-winning musician, producer, composer, recording engineer, and a patient advocate for people with rare cancers. Tanisha Dugan, your clown name is Jester Cookie the Clown. Uh, you are a producing associate at Theater Works. And Rich Holland, your, name, uh, your clown name is Dinky Troubadour the Clown. <laughs> you are a principal and design director at CoLab. So, uh, Jim so, sounds like a stripper name. I love it. Are, yeah, let's, <laughs> that's my other job. It could be. Are there stripper clowns? I'm sure. Yeah. Well, there is. And there I don't is. know if there's anything sadder than Please. a stripper clown. No, yeah, yeah. There, there is nothing sadder than a clown <laughs> working the pole. Are you kidding? <laughs> boom, boom, bongo the clown. That, just to review, would be uh, Jim's a stripper clown name. <laughs> <laughs> I lost I control it's of the show. But I'm, uh, I'm going to roll with that. 
So uh, Barbara Streisand has the number one uh, album in the country, whether you like it or not. Our panelists are not. As it turns out, big Barbara Streisand fans, neither am I really. But uh, she's got uh, an album of duets. It's called Encore. It's number one. Uh, it's the um, – she is now the, the woman singer with by far the most number one albums. It was 51 years ago that she had her first one. Uh, so commercially, this is all kind of uh, an accomplishment. As I say, it's all duets. It's often duets with people you wouldn't necessarily – expect to find on an album of duets, particularly duets of, uh, of show tunes and, and other kinds of standards. For example, you might not expect to find, I don't know, Melissa McCarthy, but here she is. Any part you can play, I can play better. Oh, I can play any part better than you. No, you can. Yes, I can. No, you can. Yes, I can. No, you can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Any laugh you can get, I can get bigger. I can get any laugh as big as you. With one look, with a glance. Till they cry. Wet their pants. Till they roar. Till they soar, I'll get more. Oh, I can belt a D-flat and I'll never be flat. I don't have to warm up. I can act a storm up. I can do. I should say in the video they're both dressed as clowns while they're singing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's not true, actually. So, Tanisha Dugan, one point that you made in the emails, and I think it's well illustrated here, there are certain songs, first of all, that are very tough to do pulled out of their normal context. Although this one, which is from Annie Get Your Gun, is done all the time in all kinds of di- different contexts. But, you know, just selling it this way is a little bit complicated. I guess so. Um, I mean, they've played with the lyrics liberally in this and uh, are having a good time sort of ribbing each other uh does it stand alone as like a song i'd want to listen to uh in my car probably not uh but it is fun to sort of hear these two comic actresses go back and forth and then you know i made a comment to the guys this is kind of the hillary clinton song because towards the end they talk about breaking glass ceilings and all of the girl powerness that goes with it so i mean it's a lovely corny <laughs> it's like clown laugh. <laughs> Ode to uh, playing with each other and then uh, one-upping each other. So o- over the course of this album, she sings duets with people like Jamie Foxx, who actually really can sing and does have something of a singing career. Chris Pine, who you'll hear later, who kind of doesn't <laughs> um, and probably maybe won't. Uh, Alec Baldwin, um, Antonio Banderas. Uh, so it's it's an odd mix. And, and Jim, I mean, one of the things I think – I think we should just talk for a moment about the notion of a duet. You know, So a duet ideally, when things really work well on a duet, it really is greater than the sum of its parts. You get something more than the simple contributions of each singer plus some instrumentation and some material. If it works, it's going to click together and really be something. I, I'm not sure we can point to many instances on this particular album where that happens. I, w- I would agree. Maybe the – High water mark would be Tony Bennett with his uh, uh, some of the Frank Sinatra stuff, but this seems intentionally, and I'm all for Babs being number one because she's 74, and I talk about a there's some sort of ceiling that she broke, but she broke it with a walker or something. I I like that. (laughs) Jim and I I are looking towards our futures. That's right, right, and it's nice to know we have something to aspire to, like a duet, a duet dressed as clowns. (laughs) But I, I think. Whoever produced this, I don't get a clear sense that they knew where they were going because nobody can really sing except for her. 
And the thing about a duet that's like interesting and the thing that makes it transcend is that you can hear the harmonies. And and you're tossing back and forth and uh, even the Lady Gaga, Tony Bennett thing was compelling because Mm -hmm. they can both sing, Mm -hmm. you know. I think to a certain extent what they possibly were aiming for as as producers is selling more records, right? (laughs) If we take a a look at the, the, the list of folks who are on this this album it's something for everybody and uh and you know you're going to move more records that way and it's kind of like uh, to a certain extent here's michael phelps swimming in in a in a medley <laughs> you know everybody's there to push michael phelps over over the line his right? cut didn't actually make the say, record yeah, michael he, phelps i think does yeah. appear on duets too <laughs> yeah he <laughs> released next year See, I would want to hear that, actually. Yeah, yeah that would be amusing. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and also, Rich, I mean, look, I, look, the uncharitable, the most, un- let's do the most uncharitable. And, uh, it's interesting because when we were emailing about this back and forth, none of them like Barbara Streisand, and I was kind of defending her. Now I'm going to invite the most uncharitable interpretation, which is that she's 74 years old. Her voice isn't what it used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's voice is at 74, and she had for decades and decades this incredible hit the back wall at Radio City Music Hall kind of belting voice. You know, nobody's got that nobody's got that kind of range so do you go out and do duets with people like Adele or something like that or we're going to sound better than you do or do you do it with some people it's in some cases almost a borderline novelty tune although Mm -hmm. most of these things aspire to a certain kind of musicality but I'm wondering whether it's just a protective device I mean pick people who aren't going to outsing you well you know I think that in listening to this album for the most part I think Barbara could have delivered it without these other folks singing with her, mm-hmm. her 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 chops are there. I mean, there you could hear that some of the phrasing uh, was a little awkward. You know, she was holding on uh, to to kind of mid note a little longer than you would think. But I think that's because she was covering for for what other folks couldn't handle in the harmonies. Mm-hmm. Um, but left to her own devices, she seems like she still you know can place phrasing where it needs to be. So I keep getting back to like, so why release this duet album when you can actually still handle the thing on your own and you still have a following of folks uh, who who are going to buy your album no matter what? I mean, it's essentially a celebration of actor singers, mm-hmm. an actor with a capital A. And I, in some ways, to me, it was nice to sort of be reminded of the fact that in order to really make it in this business, you've got to be a triple threat. You just have to be. And you don't always get a chance to see those talents. Yeah, Chris Pine may not be, you know, Tony Bennett, but he can sing a song. He can sing a song. Let's explore that one right now. Let's explore that one. Uh, That's cut A5 for you, Wolfie. Let's hear uh, Chris Pine. His duet is uh, actually it's a duet medley. I'll be seeing you. And I've grown accustomed to her face. I'm not sure we'll hear both of them, but you'll hear some of them. Oh, I'll be seeing you In every lovely summer's day In everything that's light and gay I'll always think of you that way I'll find you in the morning sun And when the night Looking at the moon, but I'll be seeing you. 
custom to her face She almost makes the day begin I've grown accustomed to the tune She whistles night and noon Her smiles, her frowns His ups, his downs Are second nature to me now so, <laughs> so I mean, Jim, back to your point about – so to me, the great example of synergy uh, of something being better than the sum of its parts uh, you've already alluded to. I, I think, you know, Tony Bennett did the two albums of duets. The, 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 the beautiful little distillate that trickled out of that pipe was his collaboration with Lady Gaga, which is going on and is going to clearly go on. And they – you watch the videos. They're clearly, clearly having a fabulous time together. Um, he totally gets her. She gets him. And, and the, the chemistry between them – is one of the things that really kind of adds to one of these songs. I find chemistry to be somewhat absent here. You know what? This sounds like it's somebody who maybe watched Richard Burton or something like that, and who, who I don't think was a great singer, right? He was a great actor and <laughs> acted in musicals and sort of talked his way through musicals. I can't help but having just seen Hell or High Water, picturing Chris Pine's character in Hell or High Water dressed like that singing to Babs right now. Um, and I guess you would only get that if you saw the movie, but uh, but that sort of gets yeah, this they, is sort of a strained. Yeah, it gets thing. to Denisha's point about the actor singer. All right, so we know from the history of theater that what happens? Yeah, you're going to stage Camelot. You're going to put Burton in it. You know, I mean, you know, you're going to hoping he can kind of get through a song. Um, uh, one of the songs that uh, Streisand's famous for is "Sim and the Clowns." That wasn't in the original musical because Sondheim thought they were going to get more of an Elizabeth Taylor type person in that role who actually did wind up in that role in the movie version. And so they thought he thought, I'll write kind of a patter song so she won't have to sing. Then they got Glynis Johns, who in Sondheim's words, could kind of sing. <laughs> you know? And that's sort of – that's what we know about the actor-singer. They can often kind of sing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Barbara Streisand is sort of the opposite, right? I mean, you know. I mean, it's funny. As I was listening to this again and thinking of what you were saying, Rich, I mean, she still can hit these notes mm-hmm. and, yeah, and they're so amazing. lovely. And she does support Chris in, in this song. But I – if you would listen to all of the other men on this album, he sounds exactly like the rest of them. So I don't know if, like, there's a little bit of, like, oh, God, this is Chris Pine playing into our ears when we hear him. Because I think it's it's actually really sweet. And when he sings that first line and she's, you know, humming, you know, I just I think it's really, I think it's really sweet. Oh, that was I her? Do. I thought you were humming. <laughs> no! <laughs> no! Seriously. That was her, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, um, for me, Chris Pine was doing was listening to a bunch of Frank Sinatra. I was like, okay, how can I do this? Because I can't really sing, but maybe I could just kind of gather a couple of words and, and it's not even that he right. can't sing. He's singing a tune. He's singing. Yeah, he has that little vibrato at the end. It's mm-hmm. like she has a, an amazing instrument. Does he actually have that instrument? He has it. Acting is a great actor. Well, you I know? think so. That's my point, right? Yeah. It's it, so to to split the hair on this that that's that to me singing isn't just about whether you could hit the note. Um, uh, singing to me is about uh, what you bring to the note. And um, and uh, even if I listen to Sinatra, there's a thing that he brought to it that's not easily replicable. Yeah, you and know, I, I don't think you have pers- to be a wonderful singer. I think we have, we have the perfect example of this uh, on this. Okay, so speaking of people who listen to Sinatra and a lot of other people, Seth MacFarlane, who's the guy behind the family you know, guy, has this one sort of you know putative singing career. 
as our music expert uh, Steve McGaff said, he, he's a guy who can sing the way he's heard a lot of other people sing. Yes. You know, I mean, that's basically what he's done. And so he's listened to the way a lot of people who deliver standards deliver those standards. Um, you know, he has probably a slightly better voice at the, in the, at the level of timbre than some of the people that we're talking about today. So let's listen to uh, Seth uh, and Barbara do Pure Imagination. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin. Traveling in a world of our creation What we'll see will defy explanation If you want to view it's actually such a great song. Yeah, well, that is. felt and like an SNL tipped, skit. You kind of tip the scales in his favor because she starts the song so beautifully, but yeah. he crashed the car on his own as soon as he came in, so you know okay. What? I have to say, this reminds me of, of having coached many a singer in the studio, mm-hmm. and those who come from Broadway, is we really and they want to sing pop, we have to sort of smack the vibrato out of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can hear these people acquiring vibrato as a device to sustain or whatever, and it's not, it's just a... It's a choice. There's nothing bad about it, but it it really inhabits that world. I just want to make a point, too, about people who can't necessarily sing. And so, Wolfie, I'm going to need to switch over to uh, cut A4 here. Uh, About people who cannot necessarily sing, who are not known for singing, um, who can cut through all that and really kind of deliver a song. I think I'm not even going to tell you who this is singing, although you may recognize it because it's associated with kind of a famous event, too. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin, traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see. Explanation. You got it, right? Yeah, yeah, Johnny Depp and... No, 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 no. <laughs> Is it not? It's better. It's better than that. Wow. Alice Cooper? No. It's, it's Russell Brand. Ah! Oh, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I think I kind of did <laughs> Russell Brand is wow. closing the 2012 Olympics. Uh, it's, it's a live performance, I think, with the London Symphony Orchestra. And so, so here's a guy. I mean, he doesn't have a great voice. And nobody ever thought of Russell. I mean, he's hung around with some very attractive and very good singers like Katy Perry. But um, we don't think of this guy. But, I mean, to Jim's point, he's not... He's the vibrato is almost not. He's right, just trying right. to get the song across. He's just selling the song, and it's yeah. fun. The reason I think I thought it was Johnny Depp is because it's got that uh, Tim Burtony feel yep. to yeah, it. That little piece uh, of mischief. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah that's I'll just say it's a sharp eleven. It's a sharp eleven. Yeah, Tim Burton every time. Yeah, yeah, Danny Elfman every time. Yeah, yeah. So. I guess one of the questions that we'd really have to ask ourselves, and and so and Rich, you've already given one answer to this. Maybe you have more answers. I mean, just to, the physical album sales, and these days when they do charts, they look at downloads and stuff like that too. Uh, but the physical album sales alone, 
uh, are 126,000 uh, in one week. That's the largest sales week for a physical album in 2016. Uh, and, and, and counting everything, downloads and stuff like that, it's also the number one album in the country. How the hell is this the number one album in the country? I mean, pure following, right? Yeah. So, I mean, to, to hit those numbers out of the gate, you're hitting the numbers before anybody's really heard of it or it's gotten any kind of real distribution. You're selling it because it's Barbara Streisand and you're selling it because, hey, look, it's all these cool people that we love on TV and in the movies right now. And uh, and that um, that novelty and, um, and affinity is going to move the records. And when I think about it, um, I have friends who, you know, who are much younger than I am by 20, 30 years who love Barbara Streisand and my parents love Barbara Streisand. So if I take a look at a, at a career that's spanning that many people, mm-hmm. um, you're bound to, uh, to make this thing work out of the gate. Just a big net maybe uh, that's yeah. scooping all this stuff up. And does anybody else have any other theory about this? I, I say props to her. Yeah. I'm glad mm-hmm. she did it. Yeah. You know? yeah. I don't have to, to, to be uh, overly enthused about it to, but to be happy about it. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to just I, – I thought there was one cut that works. The panel may not agree with me about this. I thought there was one cut on this that particularly worked. Uh, and it's Alec Baldwin who, once again, we don't think of as any kind of great singer. Uh, it's a, a, a tune called the, the Best Thing That Has Ever Happened. It's actually from – two of these uh, songs are kind of Sondheim obscurities. She sings with Antonio Banderas, a tune from Evening Primrose a show that it was essentially never produced. Uh, and, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, song called Take Me to the World. And this is the song that, um, that she does with, with uh, Baldwin. It's from a show that's been done in, kind of in two different guises. Uh, one says Bounce, and I think the other time is Road Trip. It has been a disaster. Uh, it's not gotten off the runway either time. Uh, but they do a nice job. And a lot of these songs do have a spoken word introduction. We cut those out for most of the... Uh, the so sort of little banter going back and forth. We we kept the banter in. So here's Babs uh, and Alec doing that. You dressed yet? Dressed? Why? We've got cocktails at the Costas. Oh, jeez. We said we'd drop by. Uh, do we have to? Then there's dinner at the Dodges, oh. the reception at the Rosens. Oh, I think I'm gonna die. So how about we just stay home? Could we do that? I like your thinking. You are the best thing that ever has happened to me. You are. Come on. Okay, then. One of the best things that's happened to me. You are. To think I'd find someone who could surprise me and size me up without cutting me down. Ain't this a town? Sure is. You are the goddamnedest thing that has happened to me. Language. Ever. Sorry. When did I have this much happiness happen to me? Never. I can't believe my luck. And all I can do is be the best thing that's happened to me. I should just say parenthetically, this song is performed as a song about a gay relationship more than it is performed any other way. Um, but I don't know. See, see, Tanisha, I have this theory that what Baldwin does here is he forces the chemistry. Mm. He kind of says, you know what, we're going to have some kind of chemistry here. 
<laughs> Whether you like it or not. God damn it. <laughs> I, I actually think the album should have been um, Baldwin and Babs, yeah. or Babs and Baldwin. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think he leans into that pattern in the beginning, and it sets them up uh, for this really sort of fun and charming uh, relationship. And it, it carries through the whole song, which is really sweet. This was, uh, I, and I remember the, the Fockers for some reason. It, this I is really one think, that was produced by John Updike. A lot of people don't know <laughs> I really think the so difference ridiculous. between this one number and all the others, and I agree with you, Colin, this is the only one to me that works, is uh, all the other guys. Give were, it up, Dinky. Were, the other, you know, I had a girlfriend that used to call me that. Um, it was, it was uh, uh, all of the other guys um, were playing somebody else. And Baldwin has had the maturity to just say, forget Forget about it. I'm playing Alec Baldwin from here on in. All the other stuff is too much work. Yeah. And uh, and cutting through the work is what made it sort of seem authentic. And, yeah, he was pulling her into it. It's like, hey, Babs, I'm Alec Baldwin. Hang with me here. <laughs> and, uh, and that uh, works. All right. Uh, well, we agree on that. Um, we're all a little bit baffled as to, well, no, I guess we understand why it's doing so well. And Amy uh, just called us up from Middletown saying vocals, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's entertaining. <laughs> I'd buy it. So, she's right. She's I mean, right. Yeah, as yeah. I look under the table, we're all yeah. tapping our feet. I mean, it yeah. does the thing that this kind of music is supposed to do. And, yeah. you know, and that's. That's right. All right, you guys Amy's are the best things right. that, have, that have ever happened to me. <laughs> so we have to take a little break while we think about that. <laughs> and we'll come back with a brand new show called Atlanta that we really all, I'm pretty sure, like. All right, we're back with the news. We're having a little bit of a computer problem here at the studio, so bear with us. We may not be able to play the clip from Atlanta, although we're working on that, right? Maybe we, maybe we can. So um, making its debut this week on, on FX, yeah, we all kind of fell in love with one, with one particular scene from this show. I think it was Tanisha who suggested that we do this show, although— As a joke and a counter to Barbara. Yeah. Full disclosure. Right, because Tanisha <laughs> is never here when we do the Frank Ocean album no. or the Nate Parker conversation. or anything. She's always no. here for the Barbara Streisand <laughs> thing. So she said— uh, Let's all watch Atlanta. And th- but then we did, and we really kind of all did fall in love with this show. It's uh, brand new. It's on FX. Uh, it's from uh, a creative mind uh, that I-, I was not familiar with because I don't watch Community. I haven't ever watched Community. That's where I would know him from, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the you know, Martian. And the Mar- is, he, is he the Martian? Yeah, you don't listen to you don't listen to guy. rap. I listen to rap. You weren't you weren't a childish Gambino fan? I'm not a childish Gambino. I'm not well enough. In mar- when no. did rap? Hip hop become rap again because it started as rap and then it became hip hop and now it's back to rap. I was being funny, no, but it's true. I mean, this is a very important distinction to make. <laughs> well, anyway, we need to set this, set this up a little bit. Uh, this is Dan, uh, Donald Glover, who is uh, plays AKA a childish Gambino. He's a childish Gambino. He is he has uh, uh, dropped out of Princeton. He plays a character who's dropped out of Princeton, gone home to Atlanta, where his cousin, uh, who's kind of a tough uh, pot selling uh, guy, who's uh, a little on the heavy side. 
side and is on the verge maybe of breaking out as Paperboy, B-O-I, uh, a hot new local rapper, uh, is an inviting possibility, the, the possibility of maybe collaborating with his cousin and this young guy. I'm not doing a very good job of sketching this out, but he, he's, he's, he says he's not technically homeless. He doesn't have any place to live. He's got a relationship that's kind of on the fritz. Uh, he's got a beautiful little daughter from that relationship. Um, he's got semi-understanding parents. But uh, so what we've seen mostly is him comically and then sometimes tragically and then sometimes eerily, twin peaksily, uh, trying to fuse his fate with that of his uh, on-the-rise rapper cousin. Uh, and we actually do have a little clip from the show. I'm, let me just kind of set it up a, a tiny bit. This is um, the this sort of is the arrival on the scene of Ern. Ern is the character played by Donald Glover. He's the guy who's dropped out of Princeton. Uh, he's a young, articulate, thoughtful uh, young man, but he's also very interested in maybe managing the career uh, of Paperboy, uh, his um, his cousin. And the other voice that you'll hear, you'll hear the two of them, but there's also a, uh, a third character, Darius. Darius is kind of the great tradition of, say, maybe Jim Ignatowski uh, on, uh, on, on Taxi. He's a guy who's sort of in touch with an alternate reality <laughs> an awful lot of the time, so much so that people even wonder if he's even there. He might just be something that pot makes you see. Uh, but, but Darius is, uh, you'll hear Darius sitting there uh, saying kind of crazy stuff. Uh, so here we go. So, Zoot You want in on Paperboy? What? No. Please, man. People ain't just nice, Ern. When was the last time you were nice to a girl you weren't trying to smash? This morning? You talking about your daughter, man. That's gross. No, it would be gross if I was trying to smash. I don't want a handout. I want to manage you. <laughs> manage? You know where the word manage come from? Manus, Latin for hand. Probably, but I'm going to say no for the purpose of my argument. Manage? Come from the word man, and uh, that ain't really your lane. My lane? Yeah, man, I need Malcolm. You too, Martin. You know what they did to him? They killed him. Didn't they kill Malcolm, too? Well, no, 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 they say that. But ain't nobody seen the body since the funeral. That's how funerals work. Alfred, you already Malcolm, okay? You have that already. What you really need is a silent wild card. Somebody who's about the money, the opportunity, who can play both sides if needed. Oh, like Don Lemon. Fair point. Let me rephrase what I'm trying to say. <laughs> First of all, a show that can pull off a Don Lemon joke and a pretty mean Don Lemon joke, but a not possibly inaccurate Don Lemon joke. Uh, but everything about that. I mean, it's just such tight writing. I mean, I think Jim, oh, yeah. and Jim, you and I were having the same reaction. You know, just I don't know how many jokes were there. That clip is yeah. uh, it's 58 seconds long. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, it went about seven places. Yeah, yeah it's, it's packed full. I, I, you know, I think Tanisha brought this uh, to our attention. I didn't get to it till last night, and then I got up early this morning to watch the second episode. It was that good. I really, really like this show, and I'm in need of a little anchor show right now, so I thank you. <laughs> um, I, although I think, uh, Rich, the, the struggle that I'm having with this show, it's mm. not an unpleasant struggle. It's a struggle I'm perfectly happy to have. It's very difficult to figure out its vibe. I mean, that's sort of the way of things these days. Nothing's strictly a comedy anymore. Nothing's strictly a drama anymore. This one, though, in particular, you know, is so funny at times and so committed to funniness. Uh, on the other hand, it's punctuated with disturbing moments of violence and then other kind of otherworldly moments where the people, there's a, a strange deja vu moment. There's a guy who kind of appears on a bus who doesn't seem like he can possibly even be real. Uh, so I, I don't know. Should I care that I don't quite understand what level this thing wants to operate on or whether it ever even chooses one particular level? 
I say go with go with the flow. Um, uh, to me, this is this show is all about life and transition, and life and transition is going to put you in that place where it could be anything and everything at once. Um, so yeah, sure. At one point, it's going to be absolutely um, uh, heartbreakingly hilarious, and um, and at other times, it's it's going to be in your face and startle you into you know deciding if this is the journey you're on if it's the journey you want to be on rather and uh and that's embedded through throughout this thing you know these these points of transition um and, and for me as a as a writing device it totally catches me off guard every step of the way you know a a piece that is awkward and and full of comedy could burst into violence and then doesn't. And then a scene that, you know, that comedy is playing out in a kind of conge- congenial way uh, suddenly breaks into, you know, head bashing. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it, it, it strikes me, uh, certainly from my point of view, as the sort of um, time bomb in the new reality. It, I, I also think, you know, this, Denisha, is a nice – confluence between between some very good writing and some very ambitious writing and some tremendous performances just it's it's as hard to say Shakespeare as it is to say comedy that's written in such a ziggy zaggy kind of way you know and, and the fact like even listening to that clip the fact that they're all sort of committed right where they're supposed to be and they can really just hit those laughs they're not written in any kind of predictable rhythm or anything like that the guys who are doing this are very very skilled they are and the facility of that allows these moments that you know, uh, semi-spoiler alert. Uh, he's when as he's sitting in uh, in booking in central booking, and and you're like laughing at this character that is sort of outrageous and and has been in and out, and you know that he's sort of mentally disabled, but you're laughing and you're laughing, and then you get smacked with sort of the reality of what that means in Atlanta, what it means to to be black and mentally ill and constantly in jail and all of a sudden that laugh that you were having at the expense of this person becomes something else because you're realizing the sort of social context of it um it is a facility of the performers that allows you to go on that ride and you don't quite know is it comedy is it a drama because you were just laughing your face off at what normally is a funny device um, and moment, kind of acceptable. That yeah. you're talking about for, for me was I was right up to – I, I guess – can we give it away? Can we talk about what yeah, 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 okay, so, it Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't turn off your radio. It won't wreck it. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to ruin anything. Yeah. But, but you're, you're laughing at the, the misfortunes of this poor mentally ill guy and everybody's kind of – and the police are, mm-hmm. are in on it. They're mm-hmm. laughing too and, they like, and then he does the wrong thing and – up to that point, I was thinking, you know, they're starting to lose me now because I can't imagine that these policemen are going to be that nice to this guy all the – bam. Right. And, oh, we're right back in it now. Right, this right, is right. probably more like what happens. Yeah. It's not a knock on policemen. Well, I, I think also – I don't think <clears throat> that, they, that they were being nice to him though. You know, right. the, the cops were, you know, were poking fun of him. He was Nor like were this, we really at that yeah, point. Yeah, no, no. But, no. but we're all in on this sort of joke. Yeah, and see, you're, I wasn't you're laughing. Not... It was breaking my heart. <clears throat> you know, and, you know, I was watching a human being being, uh, being treated like um, this sideshow. And I expected it to be an old Western where you shoot at the guy's feet and he's mm-hmm. got to dance, you know. It's like someone that, that's clearly, um, uh, you know, not okay in a lot of ways. But would you being say you're so being mistreated. led down this path by the writing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're, we're led 
down the path of this understanding of who this character is, and we think that the scene is about this character, and then they pivot, right. and that's what right. seems to happen all the time. And if I take a look at uh, at a, a, trim, a tremendous amount of even our news narrative right now, it's that's embedded in it, right? So here's this person that's driving down the road, and they're doing this thing, blah blah, blah and then it pivots to to this other situation. You know, the context around. Um, all of the the sort of modern storylines are about that point of pivot, and um, and how that pivot is drawn uh, in this scene is um, is you know if you take a look at it from from a race line, all of the black cops you know are laughing at this guy you mm-hmm. know and they're belittling him. It feels like this guy that they knew from their neighborhood that everybody mm-hmm. always just made fun of you know and uh, this guy had in in a minor interaction uh, with a white cop who is the one that, that created this assault on him. So it's drawn in a way that, that feeds into, um, you know, these, these common narratives. But there's also this other spin. There's this sort of subtext that hangs underneath something else that's different from what we're accustomed to. I think that's exactly the point, too. There is a commedia structure to that character. And because all of the actors are of color, you're able, I was able to sort of be in that commedia world where this is an archetype and that's what we, and and I'm accepting that that's what this is. And so it makes the pivot that much more... Mm-hmm. Um, heartbreaking. I want to uh, leave just a little bit of time talking, uh, speaking of things that balance uh, on the knife's edge of uh, comedy and tragedy for Climbs in the Woods. But just say this uh, show is called uh, Atlanta. It is uh, the work of Donald Glover. We're living in an age of very interesting black TV auteurism. Anna mm-hmm. Bernays is uh, launching Queen Cotton uh, right at the same time. Queen Sugar. Queen Sugar, sorry about Different that. Different crop. Different crop, yeah. <laughs> uh, right at the same time. I got both Kate Russian and I got a little bit hooked on Greenleaf uh, earlier this year, which is uh, the Oprah Winfrey Network. It's a total soap. It's like it doesn't have any of the kind of archness uh, that some of these other things do. But Greenleaf is kind of fun if you want to watch a total soap about um, – uh, a sort of what uh, kind of a religious empire, a, a mega church, a super church. Anyway, lots of interesting stuff out there. Uh, so uh, this one's called Atlanta. It's, it nominally airs on Tuesday nights, I think. We're all watching it on demand right now. <laughs> exactly. so, but I think actually it's on Tuesday nights. All right. So uh, just with a few minutes that we have left here, you know, it is one of these moments where maybe a life is imitating art or something. There has been a problem. Uh, it's been actually reported all over the country, but recently in the Carolinas, both North and South Carolina, uh, the problem problem is at least reports of. I mean, we really can't say for sure that this is happening. Uh, and it does seem a little like, um, you know, like a scene from an upcoming episode of Atlanta. Uh, but it's uh, it's the problem of clowns uh, and clowns <laughs> lurking in particular at the edge of the woods. Uh, and uh, there have been, you know, police reports. There was at least one occasion where somebody chased a clown through the woods with a machete, mm-hmm. at which point I'm thinking, OK, now who's <laughs> who's the great? Yeah, who's in what? <laughs> who's in what role here? Um, but um, so I, I guess one of the things that I, I'm sort of wondering, uh, Rich, I'll just start with you oh on gosh. this. Is uh, oh <laughs> well, no. I, what I sort of wonder is, do you actually think there are any clowns in the woods, or is this just something where this particular trope, the gong of this trope, has been beaten so frequently that now it just you know it's kind of people just seeing a thing that they think is probably there. I think there are clowns in the woods, man. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, and and 
I think that folks are performing all kinds of different things. Um, uh, I did read this the, an article that, that Colin shared with us from the New York Times, which New York Times, which which uh, prompted this, and uh, one of the uh, a head of some clown society of sorts. Uh, was being interviewed and was feeling that the clowns were being, you know, misrepresented here and that there's something, you know, kind of almost on the line, the the lines of like clown racism, if there were such a thing. Uh, let, let, me just, let me flesh out what uh, Rich is saying. Uh, yeah, please. Uh, be, yeah, so, so first of all, I just want to say just reading the New York Times article <laughs> out loud is fun. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that article begins – First, there were the reports in Greenville County, South Carolina, of creepy clowns offering children money to come into the woods. There was also the mysterious late-night sighting of a clown waving under a streetlight. Now, two weeks later and 180 miles away, separate tales of clowns trying to lure children into wooded areas in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, have set off concerns in that city. But here's the part that, um, that uh, Rich is talking about. Uh, it's, uh, none, of this, uh, none of this sits well with the clowns. First of all, I like that line. <laughs> why, why would it? Yeah. You know? None of this sits well with the clown. Oh, wait, here's the Mike, good part. Mike Beckfar, a professional clown who goes by the name Sir Tooney Van Dukes and who runs the website Just for Clowns, said anxiety about the incidents is being needlessly stoked by national news coverage. Quote, I wonder how the reporting on the story would go if instead of clowns, people were dressing up as aliens, witches, zombies, or doctors, he asked in an email. What if they were wearing hospital scrubs, lab coats, and a stethoscope around their neck? Would the news report that doctors were hiding in the woods trying to lure kids with candy? Would, you, would the news report that? I think we can all say, yes, yeah. yes they would be <laughs> By that. the way, this is not the New York Times. This is the Gotham Tribune. Just want to make that very clear. Ridiculous. Yes. Anyone in a costume. Should, but should we feel bad for clowns? I mean, should we feel – I mean, clouds, clowns are – now, they, all they wanted to do is make people happy. Now they're being stigmatized. I mean, mm. this is a tragedy. This is, this this is, is not an American. American tragedy. A hashtag is waiting to so, be born. I, I did a little research because, you know, <laughs> I didn't know go. what the heck I was going to talk about yeah. regarding clowns. And I was checking up on clown violence, mm-hmm. both in terms of, you know, uh, acts upon clowns and uh, acts that clowns might produce uh, to see, you know, wh- how the equation pans out. And by far, clowns are the perpetuators of mayhem more so than the reactions against clowns. You know, and, and, since this I mean, is radio, I'm, can we point out that Rich has a giant red nose? Right. Giant red nose. Huge. Did you get any, right get any numbers on clown-on-clown violence? Or they're, they're <laughs> no, I could not, not find there. any clown-on-clown violence. <laughs> but there was a clown and cop uh, video that was being reported in Minnesota. Apparently they got into this kind of fight. The clown was walking around squirting windows of cars driving by, which did not sit well with this police officer who got into an argument with the clown and um, and they got into a kind of little wrestling match. And uh, I wrote this down because it's quite lovely. Um, the guy who videotaped this thing going on uh, was being interviewed by the news about, you know, what happened. And to quote, well, a clown is being beat up by a cop. How can I not catch this on video and show it to my friends? Well, yeah, exactly. I, I, well, that's, I, to I, me, it's, it's absolutely like an, a cosplay mm-hmm. moment right. that is just taken yeah. over. And it is like The Purge or any of these other movies. And clowns are, are you know, the mayhem makers. And that's that's a thing. And people like to dis- disrupt. We're in like an age of disruption. And this is, you know... 
do I think all of I think there are people dressing up as clowns who want to disrupt yeah. the status quo. So do I think they actually want to steal children? Probably not. But, but they, they love a they love nature. Because they hang out in the woods, yeah, right? So what's bad about that? They're not fairies. Nothing bad about I got to tell you, it's creepy. All right. We have to stop uh, for a number of different reasons, uh, but mainly because we just have to. Uh, when we come back, we'll do endorsements. All the clowns, quick send in the clowns. Don't bother. If they're going to crack down on clowns in the woods, what's next? Ventriloquist dummies that come to life? Way to suck the joy out of life. Speaking of that, what about evil robots that suck the joy out of life? Are they going to be illegal too? Today's show was produced by Patchy McPants and me, Captain Boo Boo Wolfie Bubble. Our introduction featured Greg Hill, Ray Hardman, Ryan Karen King, and introducing Lori Mack. The part of Bill Curry was played by Antonio Banderas. Never miss an episode by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. On Monday's show, The Scramble. And now, back to Colin. All right. Uh, now our panel is going to tell you about things that they like that maybe you will also like. So, Denisha Dugan, what falls into that category for you? Um, I'm going to give a little hometown glory uh, today. Uh, there's a store called Cinder and Salt in Middletown. Oh, yeah. Um, and giving them some love because it's back to school season and everybody's shopping, it seems. Um, so head over there and uh, they do like uh, sweatshirts and t-shirts and stuff. Sweatshirts, like that. t-shirts, um, all of it hand pressed. Um, yeah. Also, congratulations to Tanisha and her new baby. Uh, yes, we added to the brood. The tribe uh, is getting bigger. <laughs> but I can add to your cinder and salt. Uh, actually, I bought. Uh, they did sort of like a, a market at uh, Real Artways mm. last year, and I bought for my son, my fashion conscious son. Yeah. Uh, I think both a t shirt and a sweatshirt. So they are nice things. All right. So uh, Jim Chapdelin, what have I'll, you got for I'll us? I'll pick up the Middletown through line. Right. Um, nice. The Shinolas are uh, emerging from uh, hibernation, and headed to the Mezzo Grill. Yeah. Uh, for a while, every other Tuesday, I think. Uh, starting this Tuesday, the 13th. We should actually put this in context. <clears throat> this is Jim's band. They are the, famously a band that kind of, kind of play any song, any music, uh, anything. We're doing a duet with uh, Barbara Streisand. That's right. I, why, 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 <laughs> guy, why weren't the Shinolas on <laughs> right, right. We're the only ones who, who could. Um, and then, this is uh, a great if, outdoor space to <clears throat> listen to music. It is? Good. Good, good to know. Um, and then... Uh, Next weekend uh, in Salem, Connecticut, is the great uh, Mitchell Horse Farm Music Festival. I've played it for years. This year I get to play it twice, Saturday with the Pusat Dart Band and Sunday with our great friend Big Al Anderson. Uh, so come on down. Those of you who have heard Big Al and Jim do their annual concert or whatever it is that we do uh, here right around New Year's Eve. This year is uh, going to be done as clowns. As clowns. Nice. We're going to be clowns this year. Rich Holland, what have you got for us? I'm going to take uh, Tanisha's uh, props and go down the other road and talk about fashion. Nice. All right. Um, in October uh, is our second um, Hartford Fashion Week, and everybody should get online and buy some tickets at uh, hartford.fashion. No dot com, nothing. Just hartford.fashion. That's how fancy people so are. So fashion. Um Yes. And uh, the dates are October 14th to 16th. Uh, just jump on that website. There's free stuff going on. There's paid stuff going on. There's all kinds of absolutely fabulous things going Super on models. for that week. 
better than supermodels, I, local models. I think so, our own Carolyn Payne usually judges some kind of fashion yeah, show. Yeah, she's, she's a part of it. Yeah. Everybody in in the in the city of Hartford and surroundings are a part of it. Last year, it was just absolutely killer and sold out, and, and folks was. had just such a blast. Um, and this year, it's looking like it's going to be bigger. We've got some uh, at least one designer coming up from New York because they see the value in uh, in presenting in the uh, in the Hartford, Connecticut market. So Hartford has it now. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, alumni or news for the news, Melanie Cantea, who I think has only been on the news once, maybe twice. Let's say twice just to make it sound more impressive. So she had a, a brief role on the night of the HBO summer hit this series. And then she was on page one of the New York Times about a week ago as sort of the person who really triggered the EpiPen controversy. Uh, she was the one who kind of uh, start initiated or maybe one of the people who initiated kind of consumer complaints about how much EpiPens were costing. So uh, so Melanie Cantea, very – we'll have to do sort of a nose alumni segment here uh, periodically. All right. So uh, coming up, uh, no, not coming up. I'm going to endorse, first of all, The Girls by Emma Klein. This is one of the real it books of the summer. Uh, I was up in Maine last week. I had a chance to actually sit down and read something. Um, I, I think it's sort of worth the buzz. This is, it, it, it works very much off the, the story of, the, of Charles Manson and his followers, but it's not that story exactly. And it's, um, I don't know, it, was, it was wound up being more than I thought it would be, a very hypnotic style of prose. Emma Klein's a, a new novelist, and I, I think she's terrific, and I think this book uh, is eminently readable. Um, I didn't le- ever like the movie once, partly because people had built it up for me way too much. Uh, but the same auteur has now created something called Sing Street. It's a little sort of a fusion maybe of once and quite a bit more of the commitments. It's about nerdy kids in the 80s starting their own band uh, in uh, in Ireland. And it's it has the virtue of having really great songs. The commitments obviously had really great songs because they were road-tested, terrific songs from kind of the Atlantic soul period. These are, uh, for the most part, original songs, but they really work. And do I have time? Yes. And and so the last thing I'm going to – so that's called Sing Street. And you can now – you missed it at uh, uh, James's uh, Trinity Cine Studio, but you can uh, watch it on television right now. And then lastly, I'm going to uh, do a shout-out to Steve Metcalf, our music writer, just because, you know, when I first approached Steve about doing this, I mean, he's best known for writing about classical music, symphonic music, that kind of thing. But I know what a musical omnivore he is. Well, he's got a piece up right now at WNPR.org, which is about the great TV Western theme songs. So he takes you through all the various classic TV Western theme songs and talks a little bit about who wrote them and and whether or not they're good. He did not seem to know that Bonanza had lyrics initially, the Bonanza theme song. And there are, you can find online, Lauren Green and people like that uh, singing the Bonanza lyrics. That's Grayson Hughes singing our out song. He's going to be performing at Black Eyed Sally's, I think, a week from today with his brand new big band. I can't look, I can't look. I'm terrified of clowns. Craig, whoa, why do you say that? Well, it's a grown-up man wearing oddly fitting clothes, garish makeup, and a terrible wig. But that's, that's Donald Trump. Ah!